Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, November 15th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, do you know what today is, November 15th? No, but I think you're going to tell me. Yeah, I did a Google, <laughs> and it turns out that it's National Clean Out Your Refrigerator Day. Now, I know it's not a federal law, but clearly the internet powers that be have deemed it this day. So there's a lot of advice they have, you know, about taking everything out, doing that inventory that many of us procrastinate on, literally taking everything out of the fridge and looking at those uh, expiration dates and making sure everything uh, is fresh in there. We have one rule in my house. When in doubt, throw it out. Good rule. Good rule. <laughs> I feel like I hear from a lot of uh, our listeners who are like, I visited my parents and found you know, food that expired in 2011. So maybe it's not about your house, Jill, but it's, it's for a lot of people out there going to their parents and making sure that uh, their fridge is cleaned out as well. Yeah, there are salad dressings from like 1985. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, when's the last time you used French dressing? I don't know. Like they don't even it. make this anymore. <laughs> they don't even make it. <laughs> All right, let's get to some headlines here. Starting with economic news, inflation is going down. The stock market is rallying. But how do we feel on Main Street, as they say? To the Middle East, the latest on the hostages, what the U.S. is saying about where some of them may have been kept in Gaza as hundreds of thousands of American Jews rally in Washington, D.C. Speaking of the Capitol, did the former Speaker of the House elbow one of the congressmen who ousted him? For serious, folks, this is what they're discussing on Capitol Hill. And not to be outdone, a Republican senator challenges a union president to a fight during a hearing. Like an actual physical fight. Stay tuned for how Bernie Sanders had to break it all up. In tech news, Nepal's government is banning TikTok, saying that it disrupts social harmony. How a garment worker protest overseas could mean higher prices for fast fashion brands. Matt LeBlanc and Courtney Cox post touching tributes to Matthew Perry. And in lighter news, some of the most popular dog names have been inspired by Taylor Swift, sports stars, Barbie, and a little 90s nostalgia. Plus, Moshe has on this day in history. The most infamous relationship from the 1990s, as far as I'm concerned, got started on this day, Jill. We'll tell you about it. And uh, big music news. You got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. One of our favorites on this day in history. All right, let's start with some economic news and dare we say an optimistic report when it comes to inflation. And it could mean after a year and change of consistent interest rate hikes that we might be done. The Fed has raised rates 11 times, which has sent mortgage rates and credit card rates a whole lot higher. New data from the Labor Department shows inflation may be heading steadily back toward its pre-pandemic levels. The numbers showed consumer prices rose 3.2% from October of 2022 and were unchanged from last month. So we have come a long way from June of 2022 when consumer prices were up by 9.1% from the year prior hitting a 40-year high that summer. The chief economist at Comerica Bank saying the inflation fever has broken in the United States. We are still a ways away from the Fed's target rate of 2%, but certainly, most we are headed in the right direction. And to be clear again, prices for the most part aren't getting lower. 
they are just not going up quite as fast as they used to be. Yeah, that's the thing about inflation is prices always go up. And as you noted, 2% is what's considered healthy for an economy, but it sort of went crazy in the past year or so all around the world, including in the US. And they've been trying to bring it back down to that 2% annual increase. According to Mark Zandi, he's the chief economist over at Moody's Analytics. You often see him quoted in Bloomberg stories, Wall Street Journal stories, etc. He says inflation is slowly but steadily moderating and all the trend lines look good. It feels like by this time next year, inflation will actually be where the Federal Reserve's target is, something the American consumer will be comfortable with. So basically, we'll get back to the 2% number by next fall. But keep in mind, we've experienced the increases of the past year, and they ain't going anywhere anytime soon. It's just they're not going to continue to increase at the rate they were. As far as specifics here, shelter, which for many households is the biggest expense, has accounted for more than 70% of the total increase in what they call the core consumer price index over the past year. Housing inflation, though, declined in October 6% relative to the previous year. It was going up much higher over the past two years. And the continued moderation in housing costs is considered very encouraging as economists look at the numbers. Another bright spot in the report, gas prices are going down, national average down to just over $3 in 30 cents. That's down 42 cents from this time last year. Still 40% higher than pre-pandemic, but again, down from last year. Auto insurance just jumped 2% month to month in October. It has, though, soared 20% over last year. As far as some household staples that we all typically buy every run to the grocery store, milk down just under 2% over last year. Eggs down 22% from this time last year. The ground beef up 8% over last year. So the situation is still frustrating for consumers here because of just the increases that we have seen. We do see some bright spots, but keep in mind, again, you're not going to see prices go down significantly on the major big ticket items. That's what's called deflation chill. Typically deflation only happens during a recession. So be careful what you wish for. I don't want a recession, but I wouldn't hate (laughs) to not spend $300 every time I go to the grocery store. Jill's looking for this (laughs) Somewhere in the middle, some fantasy out there where we don't have a recession, but the prices do come down. So basically, handouts from Procter & Gamble and Unilever and and the like. We'll ask them. I think it's going to be a hard no, but uh, sure. Okay, now to the latest in the Middle East, although we'll start here in the U.S. Uh, Amid very tight security, nearly 300,000 demonstrators gathered on the Washington Mall Tuesday showing their support for Israel and demanding that Hamas release the more than 240 people that they are holding hostage. It was the largest gathering of American Jewish communities in several decades. The repeated chants like, let our people go and never again, a reference to the Holocaust. The event is believed to have been the largest pro-Israel gathering in the U.S. since Hamas militants inflicted widespread carnage in Israel on October 7th slaughtering children and kidnapping soldiers and civilians. As we mentioned, security extremely tight. There was fencing all around the mall. Dump trucks were there trying to protect the area from potential car bombs or cars driving into the mall. This was deemed a level one security event by DHS based on threats, putting it on par with the Super Bowl when it comes to security. Among the speakers were the presidents of Israel, as well as top leaders from the U.S. House and Senate, Here is a bit of what House Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries had to say. 
And so we stand together with the Jewish community in Israel. We stand together with the Jewish community in America. We stand together with the Jewish community all throughout the world. We stand together in the effort to crush anti-Semitism. We stand together in the effort to crush anti-Jewish hate. We stand together in the effort to bring home the hostages. We stand together in the effort to make sure that America will always be a safe space for the Jewish community in every single zip code. Speaker Mike Johnson also describing the calls for a ceasefire as, quote, outrageous, saying that Israel has to eliminate Hamas. Meanwhile, President Biden said Tuesday that he believes a deal to free some of the 240 hostages is going to happen. The Israeli cabinet reportedly voting late Tuesday on the latest deal being negotiated between Israel and Hamas through mediators in Doha, Qatar. Yeah, that's where uh, leaders from the CIA, uh, the Israeli Mossad, other top officials from around the world have been for days trying to hammer something out. Uh, Appears right now, Jill, again, you know, we've been saying for days, it appears close, it appears close, it appears close, that the deal will be in some way, shape or form related to the women and children and non-Israelis who are being held hostage in Gaza right now. And Moshe, in Israel, a lot of frustration. The families of Israelis that are being held by Hamas kicked off a five-day march on Tuesday. They're basically marching from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. It's about 40 miles to demand that the government does much more to secure the release of their loved ones. The 240-plus captives range in age from nine months to 85. They are believed to be being held in tunnels deep under the Gaza Strip. Jill, back in Gaza early Wednesday morning, the Israeli military conducted an operation inside Gaza's largest hospital. That's Al-Shifa. We've been talking about that for several days now. We talked about it uh, in the newsletter actually yesterday morning. The Israelis said overnight they conducted what they call a precise and targeted operation against Hamas. As we've been telling you, the Israelis have been saying for weeks now that Hamas has a huge underground command center under the hospital. Uh, They've been calling on Hamas to vacate the facility for weeks now. And the military said late Tuesday night, unfortunately, Hamas did not. So the Israelis conducting a raid overnight, entering the medical center. Uh, The Israelis say they included as part of their team, medical teams, as well as Arabic speakers who've undergone specific training to prepare for the environment in the hospital. They had no intent to harm or cause any civilian casualties, noting again that Hamas is using the hospital and the patients as human shields. As of early Wednesday, our understanding is there's about 600 patients left in the hospital, about 200 to 500 healthcare workers, and then just over 1,000 displaced Gazans. At one point, it was 50,000. Most have uh, heeded the warnings in recent weeks. The Israelis, for three weeks, have been saying, please evacuate the facility. And so for the most part, the understanding is there's about less than 2,000 people in there at this point. Now, the Israelis and the Americans have been saying in recent days that Hamas needs to stop using the facility. The Israelis publicly warning that using the hospital jeopardizes the hospital's protection under international law. And so, again, they've been calling for the evacuation, demanding Hamas leave. Hamas chose not to leave. Hamas putting out a statement early Wednesday blaming President Biden, uh, the White House, the Pentagon, and Israel for the raid, saying that by backing up Israel here, the U.S. was giving Israel a green light to commit what they call brutal massacres inside medical facilities. 
Now, the standoff at Al-Shifa, it hasn't been the only hospital where there have uh, been issues and accusations. The IDF has also accused Hamas of holding hostages under Rantisi Children's Hospital. It says the terror group has a tunnel network under the Indonesian hospital, and it opened fire, Hamas did, at Israeli troops from Sheikh Hamad Hospital. Keep in mind, we have about three dozen hospitals in the Gaza Strip, in an area about the size of Philadelphia. Uh, and in a number of cases, the Israelis saying Hamas continues to use those facilities as human shields. Now, a number of those hospitals have already been evacuated, but there's been the standoff at Al-Shifa now going on for a few weeks. Now, Israel has been offering to evacuate people, including the three dozen small children from the hospital. So far, the uh, Gazan Health Ministry, which is run by Hamas, not taking the Israelis up on that offer. And as I mentioned, the Biden administration made a point and the Pentagon made a point on Tuesday of uh, saying the Americans now have intelligence showing that Hamas has underground bunker is using these hospitals as human shields. And so just hours later, after the statements from the White House and from the Pentagon, the Israelis conducting this raid will uh, continue to watch the developments there on the Instagram feed throughout the day. Jill, I should mention, I watched an interview in the last day, I believe it was an Israeli spokesperson over on the News Nation cable channel, uh, asked about the optics of all of this, uh, asked by the anchor Chris Cuomo over there, you know, this looks really bad for you guys, uh, Israel, this, you know, seizure around the hospital, all this talk around the hospital, what's the strategy here? And the Israeli spokesperson basically acknowledged, yes, we know that the PR here is awful. The optics here are awful, but we're in an existential war against Hamas. They murdered 1,200 of our uh, countrymen. They uh, took more than 200 hostages. They're unwilling to relinquish those hostages. They continue to say that they will do more October 7th over and over and over again. So effectively, the Israelis saying we're willing to deal with the PR hit here to ensure the security of Israel. And so just something to keep in mind here as Israel continues to take incoming, so to speak, verbally, rhetorically uh, from the world. But as far as the Israelis are concerned, you know, this is their shot to deal with Hamas after 16 years, multiple wars haven't stopped them. And so they feel they have to do as much damage to the group as they can, as they also seek out the hostages. Uh, One note, Before we leave the subject here in the U.S., within the U.S. government, the Secretary of State has had to address dissent within the State Department in the last day. There's a dissent system within the State Department that was created during the Vietnam War to enable diplomats to express disagreements with official U.S. policy without fear of retaliation. And that system now still exists 50 years later. And they have now heard from hundreds of people within the State Department, uh, from various departments, who are unhappy we should say, beyond unhappy with U.S. policy right now in regards to Israel and the war in Hamas. Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, addressing their concerns, saying we're listening and we're listening to those who disagree with the approaches we're taking. He went on to say, we know that some people in the department may disagree with the approaches we're taking or have views on what we can do better. We've organized forums in Washington to hear from you and urged managers and teams to have candid discussions at posts around the world precisely so we can hear your feedback and ideas. So they're trying to manage, especially among some younger staffers, some more progressive staffers within the State Department, concerns about the policies. And so one interesting trend line to watch within the U.S. government right now. All right, we have a lot more news to get to in today's Speed Read, but first want to thank our sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. If you're a longtime listener, you know that I've been drinking AG1 for about a year now. When I started drinking AG1, could feel a real difference in energy, especially now I'm a new dad, I can use all the help I can get. 
That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs, gut optimization, stress management, immune support. AG1 is just a, a scoop of powder in water in the morning, and you go on with your day knowing you've got more than 70 important ingredients, and you're ready to go. I've heard from a number of you who have started taking AG1 after listening to this podcast, you know, liking the feeling that you have your nutrition, your nutrients covered for the day. And of course, AG1 has a special deal for the Monus community. Right now, if you head over to drinkag1.com slash monews, you can sign up for AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Again, that is drinkag1.com slash monews to really take ownership of your health. Time for the speed read from ABC News. It appears a government shutdown has been averted for now. The U.S. House voted Tuesday to prevent a government shutdown after new Republican Speaker Mike Johnson was forced to reach across the aisle to Democrats when hard-right conservatives revolted against his plan. The bipartisan vote was 336 to 95, and it showed Johnson's willingness to leave his right-flank Republicans behind and work with Democrats to temporarily keep government running. This, by the way, is the same political move that actually cost the last House Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, his job just weeks ago. Remember him? (laughs) So this time, Johnson of Louisiana, who just this week was literally introducing himself to members of the House, uh, appeared on track for a temporarily better outcome as the House approved the stopgap package to keep the government running into the new year. So the Senate acts next ahead of Friday's shutdown deadline. Under his proposal, Johnson is putting forward a unique two-part process that temporarily funds some federal agencies to January 19th and others to February 2nd. Just what the government needs, more deadlines and confusion, Moshe. More, more layers of bureaucracy. Basically, the short way of saying this is, Jill, they didn't solve anything. They just are like, let's just keep it open for another couple of months <laughs> while we keep talking. And that was controversial, right? It's a bill that comes without any of the deep cuts that the hard right wanted, and they've been demanding all year. It also doesn't give Biden his request for $106 billion for Ukraine, for Israel, for border security, and other supplemental funds uh, that he's asking for. Without enough support within his own party, Johnson had little choice but to rely on Who do you think? Democrats to ensure passage here to keep the government running. Johnson told his colleagues, though, quote, we're not surrendering, but you have to choose which fights you can win. Jill, it's a whole theme today with Kenny Rogers, the gambler uh, coming out on this day. Got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. And that's a bit of what Johnson had to tell his fellow Republicans. Uh, Notably, he did announce yesterday his endorsement of Donald Trump for president. So hoping that helps him because Trump has a lot of influence within the Republican uh, House caucus, the Conservative Freedom Caucus. And he says, Johnson says, this is an innovative approach and will position Republicans to go into the fight strong for deeper spending cuts in January. So basically, we're going to get through the holidays and then back at it again in January. It's like he thinks he reinvented the wheel here. (laughs) <laughs> by putting in this double He's the deadline. New guy. Jill, Jill, it's a, it's not a single deadline, it's a double deadline. <laughs> Reinventing the way government works. Rest assured for those of you who work in the government or connected to the government, you know, your paychecks will be flowing for at least another eight weeks. But Moshe, it is starting to get a little physical at the Capitol. 
Uh, this from Politico. Let's start with Tennessee Republican Congressman Tim Burchette. He says that former I, I can't even get through this because it's so insane. He says that former Speaker Kevin McCarthy elbowed him on Tuesday <laughs> inside of the Capitol basement. This is a Republican on Republican <laughs> elbow right here. Uh-huh. Burchette says that the two were leaving a Republican meeting ahead of a key government funding vote. When McCarthy passed Burchette and, according to the Tennessee lawmaker, elbowed him square in the back and apparently, like, hurt his kidneys. That, that's what he said. Yeah, he called it a kidney punch. Yeah, he called it a kidney punch. But Motion NPR reporter actually witnessed it and described it as a shove by McCarthy. Burchette then apparently accosted McCarthy kind of it getting in his face saying, hey, Kevin, why did you just walk by me and elbow me? Um, so, yes, uh, maturity. There's some important journalism happening in the Capitol hallways these days. Um, so the accused kidney punch, McCarthy, by the way, says, listen, it's a narrow hallway. It was not intentional. And things are escalating a bit, Jill. Remember Matt Gates? He was the Republican from Florida who basically brought down McCarthy, hates McCarthy's guts. He has filed an ethics complaint against McCarthy for the elbow, which means the ethics committee literally, by the way, they're also dealing with Santos, they're dealing with Matt Gates and the accusations with him in underage women. They have a whole bunch of stuff. They have AOC's dress at the uh, Met Gala. The ethics committee is dealing with that. And apparently they'll now have to investigate the elbow, the accused kidney punch in the hallway. Uh, though the bad blood here between Burchette and McCarthy is very well known. Burchette joined Matt Gates as one of the eight Republicans who voted to oust McCarthy last month. Burchette telling reporters, McCarthy's just a bully with a $17 million and a security detail. I'm not going to be fighting him or anything. It's not going to be a fist fight. It would be a very short fist fight, though. I can tell you that. Which, Jill, I understand there's been a lot of talk of fist fights in the Capitol in the last day. Correct. From the Hill, Oklahoma Senator Republican Mark Wayne Mullen, a former mixed martial arts fighter, Nearly came to blows with the president of the Teamsters at a Senate hearing on Tuesday. The committee chair, Senator Bernie Sanders, had to step in to stop an actual brawl from breaking out in one of the committee rooms. It started when Mullen was reading tweets from the union leader, which had called him a, quote, clown and a fraud. Mullen from the dais said, sir, this is a time, this is a place you want to run your mouth. We can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. And uh, just take a listen to how it all played out. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh, hold, stop it. Is that your right. solution? Every poll. No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Oh, okay. okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond? Mr. Hold Shim. it. Hold it. If Hold we can, no, I have the mic. Said. I'm sorry. This is Hold what it. he said. You'll have your time. Okay. Can I respond? Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> this is a hearing. And God knows the American people have enough of contempt for Congress. Let's not I don't make like it worse. Thugs and you, you have, and you have I don't like you because you just described yourself. Hold it. You have the mic. Yeah. You have time. All make right. Your statement. Jill, I just love the two of them going back and forth saying, stand your butt up. Fine. Stand your butt up. <laughs> Just, it's really amazing. We have two minutes of it posted on the Instagram feed. It continued and continued. Uh, like Mullen <laughs> had to be reminded by Bernie a few times. Like Bernie's like, you're a senator. You are a U.S. senator. Like, what are you doing? Like trying to get into a fist fight? 
Um, but of course, as you mentioned, Mullen is a former MMA fighter, and this is how his deal is. And the Teamsters president clearly was ready to go. I do love Bernie Sanders, though, as a referee. I kind of want to see it as like a TV show, just trying to intervene here, trying <laughs> to interrupt, trying to remind them. They're like, do you guys know where you are? Like, you're not cage matching. Like, this is a hearing about the economy, like about unions. Jill, while this might seem odd, we at Mo News have looked into the history of altercations in Congress. We put up a um, few slides over on the Mo News Premium Instagram account. Starting back in the early 1800s, when two congressmen beat a senator with a cane nearly to death, that senator couldn't serve for three years as he recovered from injuries. Uh, If you look back at Congress between 1820 and 1860, there were 80 acts of physical violence on the floor of the House or the Senate. This was all in the lead up to the Civil War as things got really nasty. You know, we've been pretty peaceful as far as our legislature is concerned, and that's not the rule of thumb around the world. There are a few parliaments and legislatures that are known for actual physical brawls. You see it a lot in Taiwan. You see it in the Balkans, typically. You see it in the Caucasus. Usually amongst the younger democracies is where the uh, parliamentarians tend to literally knock each other out. Here, it appears we've been okay until recently, but you know, a couple of these incidents are, come on, come on, what is happening? Violence is never the answer, people. <laughs> no, not between the Teamsters and the senator from Oklahoma. You want to stand up? Stand your butt up. <laughs> so, Mosh, I was working on the podcast and I was playing that clip and I was kind of trying to write to it. And my mom is over and she was yeah. like, what are you listening to? So she got over my shoulder and the two of us were just kind of laughing because there's we were nothing playing on else to do. In yes. the office. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Bernie's. It couldn't have been cast more perfectly than having Bernie Sanders be the referee. All right. uh, This story from the Associated Press, some L.A. traffic news for you this morning. It's going to take at least three weeks to repair part of the I-10 freeway in L.A. damaged in an arson fire. This is according to the California governor. It leaves the city that's already accustomed to soul crushing traffic without part of a vital artery that serves hundreds of thousands of people every day. In some good news, things could have actually been worse. Governor Gavin Newsom saying that officials have determined that the elevated section of Interstate 10 will not need to be demolished based on analysis of core samples taken from the freeway. About 100 columns were damaged in the Saturday fire. It spread over eight acres under I-10 tearing through wood pallets, cars, and other construction materials that are being stored under the freeway. No injuries were reported, but at least 16 homeless people who were living there had to be taken to shelters. But they have determined this is arson. No arrests have been made so far, but the fire purposeful. They are trying to determine if more than one person was involved. Jill, an estimated 300,000 vehicles use that stretch of the I-10 daily. It runs east-west across the heart of L.A., connects to a number of other freeways. The city's been urging people to avoid the area, take buses and trains, or work from home. I see the latter one, buses and trains, Angelinos. That's not what they do. They drive in L.A. Are there even trains? <laughs> there, there is a subway system in L.A. I've never taken it, but I heard there was one. And, of course, the only bus that I know of L.A. is the one that was featured in Speed. Jill, remember that film from back in the day? Yes, Sandra Bullock, uh, The Wildcat. Pop quiz, hotshot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway i wish you guys all luck with this uh, stretch of the i-10 we've heard from a number of people in the mo news community who are like this has uh, extended my commute by 45 minutes each way daily 
from NPR, the small South Asian mountain kingdom of Nepal taking a stand against TikTok, Nepal's government deciding to ban the popular social media app on Monday, saying that it was disrupting social harmony in the country. The foreign minister saying that the social media platform was eliminating goodwill. He said that to make it more accountable, the government has asked the companies to register and open a liaison office in Nepal, pay taxes and abide by the country's laws and regulations. It's not clear what specifically may have triggered this, but keep in mind Nepal now joins its neighbors. India and Pakistan have both banned TikTok outright as well. All three countries neighbor China. Uh, And of course, beyond uh, South Asia, you have seen calls in the US, Britain, New Zealand, a whole bunch of governments around the world that have banned TikTok from government devices, as well as the continuing calls here in the US to ban TikTok writ large. TikTok, of course, denies sharing data with the Chinese government, but is owned by ByteDance. And in China, the government, you know, has authority basically over all the companies. So Nepal, congratulations. I wish you well with the return to social harmony there. Uh, If only we can follow your footsteps. So as we have mentioned here on this podcast, just to be clear, China has a different version of TikTok that is available for people in China that is not what we have here. It is not the version that we have here. It's very heavily regulated. They put a lot of rules on it. Yeah, And specifically for kids, they're limited in the amount of time that they could spend on it. And the type of videos that they see are much different than the type of videos that we have here. Things like science experiments, people going into space, things like that. Not necessarily, you know, makeup tutorials, dances and the like. Okay, from the Market Snacks newsletter, thousands of garment workers in Bangladesh, the world's largest clothing exporter after China, are protesting over low wages. At least three workers have died during the unrest. Mainstream retailers like H&M and Zara are the primary buyers of products made by the country's 4 million garment workers who earn as little as $75 a month. Protesters are seeking a minimum wage of about $210 a month. That's about three times the current rate. It is still less, though, than what U.S. workers would make in a week at $7.25 an hour. The survey found that garment workers' daily food intake is far below the recommended amount. This is the largest scale protest by Bangladeshi garment workers in a decade. 150 factories have been shuttered indefinitely. Last week, Bangladesh's prime minister rejected demands for a pay raise beyond 56%. Yeah, beyond Bangladesh, fast fashion's reliance on cheap manufacturing is raising red flags. Brands like Sheen have soared in popularity thanks at least in part to ultra-cheap prices made possible by low-cost labor overseas. In August, you saw a group of U.S. lawmakers urging the SEC to pause Sheen's IPO until it can prove that it does not have forced labor making its clothes Studies have shown that 93% of brands currently don't pay garment workers a living wage and that just 27% have a public strategy for doing so. Major brands like Adidas, Gap, and Abercrombie recently said they would pay more to Bangladeshi manufacturers to cover wage increases. From People, Matt LeBlanc honoring his on-screen roommate and best friend of a decade, Matthew Perry, after his sudden death. The actors starred, of course, his best friends Joey Tribbiani and Chandler Bing on Friends. And in the wake of Perry's death last month, LeBlanc shared an emotional yet touching tribute on Instagram, featuring photos of the pair on the NBC sitcoms set. 
He wrote, quote, Matthew, it is with a heavy heart that I say goodbye. The times we had together are honestly among the favorite times of my life. It was an honor to share the stage with you and to call you my friend. Spread your wings and fly, brother. You are finally free. Much love. And then he joked, and I guess you're keeping the 20 bucks you owe me. Yeah, LeBlanc and Perry regarded as one of TV's most beloved best friend duos. They reflected on it back at the Friends reunion in 2021, nearly two decades after the sitcom came to a close. They were asked, 20 years later, what would Chandler and Joey be doing? LeBlanc said they probably would have opened a chain of sandwich shops. Perry said, yep, and Joey would have eaten all the sandwiches. Clearly, this lost Jill a real shock to that group. They took a while to digest it. Uh, LeBlanc wasn't the only uh, former cast member to pay tribute to Perry yesterday. Courtney Cox also posted on Instagram for the first time regarding his death. She wrote, I'm so grateful for every moment I had with you, Maddie, and I miss you every day. She shared a video clip uh, of her and Perry filming a friend scene. It's the one where they slept together for the first time. And she was revealing basically the inside story of that scene and how much he made her laugh. Also from People, more pet owners are taking name inspiration from the latest pop culture highlights from this year. In fact, some of the top trends, according to Rover.com's 11th annual report, have a relation to, you guessed it, Taylor Swift. What doesn't these days? <laughs> <laughs> Plus the U.S. women's national soccer team and from the top movies and shows of the year, including Barbie and Netflix's Wednesday the top trending dog name in America is Kelsey, inspired by Jason Kelsey and Travis Kelsey, who faced off at the Super Bowl earlier this year. It is up 135% from last year, likely fueled, of course, by Travis's romance with Swift, who had her own influence on cat and dog names this year. Taylor and Swift are trending up 21% and 133% respectively for cats. While the dog name Swifty made the list for the first time, cat names inspired by Swift songs like SD and Karma also making a huge splash. Top U.S. soccer players like Crystal Dunn and Megan Rapinoe have inspired new pet names, including Dunn and Megan, which saw a 147% increase and a 33% increase in trends. Yeah, we also saw a bunch of names inspired by sports, including C.D. Lamb of the NFL, Justin Fields of the NFL, Nikola Jokic of the NBA. Uh, team names like Celtic, up huge, Mariner, up, Eagle, up. That's probably just in Philadelphia, though. though I don't have the details. And then there are the TV show names and movie names. Netflix's Wednesday and The Addams Family have also surged this year. Wednesday is the number two trending dog name nationwide. Wednesday Adams also trending up for dogs. Barbie, as in the Barbie film, up 23% for cats. And Ken, up 79% for dogs. <laughs> I feel like Ken is a weird name for a dog. Ken no? just doesn't feel like a good dog name. <laughs> like no Ken. insult to those of you who listen. Ken. You might have named your dog Ken. <laughs> Ken. Hey, have you met Ken? Ken is so cute. Ken is so... Uh, it doesn't work for me. Uh, Jill, also apparently 90s have taken over the list. Uh, Alanis Morissette, the name Alanis is up 547% for all pets. Can that be right? <laughs> Drew Barrymore is up 300% for dogs. Ginger Spice also up. I don't know what's happening in 2023. Wait. Though I do like this. Leonardo Dog Caprio. I, I knew you would. I knew you would, I someone points for that. But I don't understand Alanis Morissette. Are we sure no. there's a correlation between Alanis Morissette and... 
And then why? Like, she didn't come out with anything this year. I'm going to write a letter to the editor of People Magazine. (laughs) I just, I need to, or Rover.com. Anyway, here's the list. Most popular female dog names. Luna, Bella, Daisy, Lucy, and Lily. Some of these, by the way, also very popular baby human names, too. Most popular male dog names. Charlie, Max, Cooper, Milo, and Buddy. Buddy's a classic dog name. Moshe, I I did point that out today on the Mo News premium feed. I wound up doing a little bit of a preview of behind the scenes of putting the the podcast together, which I thought went well and people seem to enjoy it. So I'm happy to do it any day that I'm I'm writing the newsletter. It's it's only for you Mo News premium members, by the way. You can join over at mo.news slash premium. Yes. But I said the same thing. It used to be that dogs had dog names like Rover or Bingo or whatever. And now dogs just have people names. That's like Right, like Mike. Luna, Bella, Charlie, Max. Like if there's a baby in the room and a pet in the room, you don't know <laughs> exactly. whose name is what. All right, which brings us to On This Day in History. Jill, turning 95 years old today, the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Introduced by H.B. Reese on this day in 1928. In other food history today, turning 54 years old today, Wendy's on this day in 1969. Dave Thomas opened the first Wendy's in Columbus, Ohio. Jill was always a fan in my younger years when I could eat more fast food of the number six, the spicy chicken at Wendy's. Something tells me Alex, your wife, is not a fan. I think she would let me go through the drive-thru, but I just feel like it doesn't make me feel very good afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Not digesting like I used to. All right. Fast forward on this day in 1988, Palestinian statehood was proclaimed by Yasser Arafat. They had a meeting in Algeria and officially declared the state of Palestine, though they had no territorial control at the time. They declared it over Israel, the West Bank and Gaza. There were back channel peace talks that then proceeded out of that. Uh, No direct correlation there, but just sort of coincidental. And then that led a couple of years later to a peace deal, which did give the Palestinians some semblance of self-rule in the West Bank and Gaza. 30 years later, here we are. Uh, And you've heard about it uh, at the top of the podcast for the better part of a month now. And on this day in 1995, Jill, two days into a previous government shutdown, only the interns were able to work at the White House. And today began the relationship between Monica Lewinsky and President Bill Clinton. What I referenced at the top, the most infamous relationship of the 1990s. Okay, so when you said that, I was, (laughs) I don't know why I went to Gwyneth Paltrow and Brad Pitt. That's where my head went. But this... (laughs) Is definitely infamous, yes. (laughs) Yes, a less controversial, less impactful, and that one did not lead to an impeachment and questionable distractions in the lead-up to the war on terrorism. No, they weirdly had the same haircut and started to look alike, but other than that, no controversy. We could do a whole separate podcast on relationships of the 1990s that we liked, didn't like, and are controversial. All right, we'll end here with a bit of pop culture news. On this day, 46 years ago, the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack was released. That album, with a number of hits, stayed atop the Billboard charts for 24 consecutive weeks. Jill, that is six straight months. Staying in the 70s here, Kenny Rogers released his song, The Gambler. On this day, 45 years ago. You know when to hold them. Know when to walk away. No when to run. There we go. I feel like those are words to live by forever. It's not just for a game of poker or whatever he's referring to. 
Yeah, no, I think uh, I think you got to always reference Kenny Rogers there as you're making big decisions in your life. We end here with On This Day in History in 1994, turning 29 years old today. TLC released their second album, Crazy Sexy Cool. No spaces there, Jill, just one word. Crazy Sexy Cool. <laughs> it included a number of hits, including Waterfalls and Creep. All right, a big thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. We'll help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And if you like what we're doing here on the pod, in the newsletter, on the Instagram account, consider joining Mo News Premium to support what we're doing here at Mo News. Just $7 a month. Plus, you get access to our premium pod and our members-only Instagram account, Jill. Uh, got some great feedback so far on our special UFO episode we put up on the premium podcast yesterday. It's a deep dive into what the government has covered up. Apparently had one of our listeners listening to it with her kids, and she said that her 11-year-old and his friend were like mouth ajar as they heard the details of the U.S. look for alien life and why we've been covering up the things we are. All right, Moshe, I look forward to listening and hope everyone has a really great day today. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.